Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wild Heart. This is episode 26. I've titled this one, We Are Not Alone. Our guest for this episode is Rich Hoffman, and our subject matter is UFOs and aliens and the proof that they exist. Before I introduce my esteemed guest, I would like to read a little bit of his resume. Rich is a 25-year-plus Army Information Technology Defense Contractor. He is a Senior Systems Engineer Analysis, working in the U.S. Army Material Command Headquarters at Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville, Alabama. For the past 57 years, since his 8th grade science class, and timed with the patrolman Lonnie Zamora, Sighting in Sacro, New Mexico, Rich has been pursuing his primary interest in investigating, researching, and lecturing on UFOs. Currently, he is on the exec- he is an executive board officer for the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies, a coalition and think tank over 140 dedicated scientists and professionals who want to solve the phenomena using scientific methodologies and leverage current technologies to investigate them. He is also a member of a team of scientists and engineers working in UFO data and much more. Wow, (laughs) Rich Hoffman, welcome to the Wild Heart. Hi, uh, it's great to be on with you again and see, uh, hear you, for sure. <laughs> well, I always found what you did extremely um, interesting, and you're a wonderful guy. So, uh, you know, I, I I try to stay on top of these things, and I've noticed that lately in the news we're hearing a lot more and seeing a lot more on these kind of things. And so you came to mind, and uh, I thought, well, who better to start? Who better to start this conversation with than you? So I'm not exactly sure where to start. And I know you've got so much knowledge in this area, you could probably just go on and on and on. But I'm going to start with what ignited your interest. Tell me about Lonnie Zamora sighting in New Mexico that that sparked something in you. Well, it's, it's kind of an interesting story in and of itself. I was I was late for a science class in eighth grade. I was living in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, I went to school at West Carrollton, Ohio. But anyway, so my eighth grade science uh, class, the teacher had passed out a list of subjects that everybody had to give a 10-minute presentation on. And I was late for the class, and nobody put their name next to the only thing that was available, which was UFOs. Okay. So I put, my, I put my name next to it, and... You know, didn't really know much about it. In fact, I went up after class and I asked my teacher, like, what's a UFO? And he said, well, it's unidentified flying object. I said, well, what are those? <laughs> uh-huh. I, uh, so, I, I, you know, and I really didn't know that much about him. I didn't really even get that interested in at, at that point. And it was uh, on and around April 24th, 1964, that uh, on the evening news I was watching is Walter Cronkite came up and it was talking about a case in Socorro, New Mexico. And it would involve this patrolman who basically hears an explosion over in a mesa and he leaves that uh, going to check it out because he knew that there was a dynamite shack over there. And 
uh, he uh, got over there and he saw a an, an, kind of like an egg shaped object that was sitting on the uh, the mesa, and uh, and then he also saw that there were like two small diminutive type of beings wearing like what he thought to be like a white coverall uh, next to the craft, and. Uh, as he was trying to go up this arroyo to get to this point where he could actually look down on the objects, uh, he happened to uh, get out of the car. And by then, the beings were up in the craft, and the object was starting to rise up in the air. And it came up and then kind of like stopped in, in, the, in the middle of the air. And then it shot off over over him and in toward the town of Socorro. Um, and the Air Force investigated that. They had a project at the time called Project Blue Book. And Blue Book was uh, uh, one of many projects, by the way, with different names that had been going on with the Air Force. And it just so happened to coincide with the fact that they were just up the street from me in Dayton, Ohio. I'm 13 years old. And I, by the way, I gave my presentation in the science class, and I got a D on it because I really didn't do that good with studying it. And so... <laughs> Obviously, you can tell I wasn't too interested in it, and, and I, I, did, I proved that. <laughs> and I had an, I heard that on the news about this case, and I was like, it just struck me as like, wow, you're kidding. And also that there was like this the burning uh, stage that was down in the brush that was uh, being burned. And anyway, I, I heard all this as a kid, and I'm thinking like, wow, this is incredible. What is this? So I, a couple days later, my aunt put me to a bookstore in the city of Dayton, and I went up and I said, do you have any books on UFOs? And they took me to a section, and there was a book on uh, called The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects by Captain uh, Edward Ruppelt, the former head of Project Blue Book. And that's where I first learned that just up the street from me was this project that officially was studying them. And when I read the book, they're talking about jet pursuits. They're talking about shooting at them. They're talking about all this. I'm going like, what? Wow. I mean, uh, our military has been engaging these things. We've attempted to shoot at them and didn't work. And I, and I heard all this, or read all this, and I'm going like, wow. So suddenly, at age 13, again, my curiosity ran away with me, and I started collecting all of the uh, the books that I could find. I started uh, reading them from front to back very quickly. Uh, I started looking for newspaper clippings and any magazine articles on the subject. And uh, I, Kathy, I became so knowledgeable even at that point that by age 15, I was running around giving talks in the city of Dayton to adults on the subject. Really? And, and then, to top it all off, uh, Phil Donahue had me on as a guest and I was talking about UFOs on Phil Donahue. And the next thing you know is suddenly my name was Mr. UFO in the city of Dayton, Ohio, even with the project up the road. Wow, so the Blue Book I'm, Project? The Blue Book Project, yeah. Okay, I've read and a so little long, about that. Okay. Yeah, and so bottom line was that and they closed Project Blue Book in 1969 uh, and they basically said that there was nothing to the phenomena that was going to cause any kind of an, a concern. And they, the Air Force wanted to really get out of the subject completely, and they achieved that. But up until that time, I had a few cases where I ran into uh, a Project Blue Book officer who was investigating the same case that I was. 
because I was taking on all the reports from everybody in the city of Dayton and going out and doing investigations on it. So I would do a, a, a case investigation, talk to people, talk to witnesses, get kind of like uh, materials that I would collect, you know, if there was materials there. And I was doing that all on my own. And then in 1965, in, 60, in 65, there was another kind of like a peak of sightings that happened in and around the United States. And I was pretty much inundated with having to uh, investigate cases. And I started getting more and more people to be able to help me out. I figured I'd, I can't do it all by myself. And, uh, and then in 1969 to 1970, I joined an organization called the Midwest UFO Network. And they later became the Mutual UFO Network. But I've been with them for uh, as long as since 1969. And... Uh, I became kind of like the lead for case investigation in and around Dayton, Ohio, uh, as a state section director with them. And then I went on from there, and, and over the years, I've had many prestigious positions in these different UFO groups, if you would. Uh, and now I've, we've basically, in the last few years, created our own scientific coalition where we've got, again, over 140-some-odd members right now, but we're a bunch of scientists and doing investigations. So I've been at this for 57 years, a long time. Yeah, uh, that is. My entire life. Yeah, that is a while. That is a while. So, yeah. so you keep bringing up sightings. Have you, have you studied anyone that says they've been abducted? Uh, well, sure. You'll, you'll periodically get somebody that, that claims that they've been abducted. Uh, uh, the challenge that you have with in, abduction cases is largely that the, the medical community and the psychological community are not engaged in studying that subject. So, so let's put it this way: if if somebody has a mental condition mm-hmm. and that they claim that they they, they see things mm-hmm. and they hear things, uh, or there is a psychological issue, mm-hmm. uh, I have got no doctors that can actually go and check to see that that's real. Right. Uh, so you, so there is no formal like study if you would that's done appropriately and scientifically to be able to study abduction cases so have now you, you're taking have you ran across somebody. one though that that you believe them oh well there's been a number of cases that have a lot of that evidence that support them i mean the betty and barney hill case in 1961 i remember that one <laughs> i remember yeah. that one and, yeah yeah and so you have that you've got um uh, you know, you have the Travis Walton case in 1975 where him and some others were out in Arizona clearing a forest. And you have that case where he disappeared for like five days and nobody could find him. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you have that. You've got the Charlie Hickson and Calvin Parker case down here in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Uh, that was, in, I believe, in 73. Um, there, there are a number of those cases that are out there that are very convincing that they that they that's the case, but then again, you've got a large number of other cases. And this is also true with the uh, UFO phenomena, where there are either claims that people are making that they can't substantiate because there's no evidence to support what their claim is, mm-hmm. uh, or the, in the case of UFOs, a lot of a lot of them are misidentified. Sure. And so until you, they're they're, they're natural objects, and so. You, 
studying the abduction phenomenon is extremely complex, and it's it's just one that I don't typically want to go down. Yeah. Because for, number one, I'm not a psychologist. Number two, I'm not a medical doctor, right. and I can't deduce whether whether these people are having that experience at all. Mm-hmm. But if they if there are cases, and there are cases out there where there's some sort of physical evidence that supports the fact that an object might have been there, you can actually study that. Okay. Uh, up to that point, you really can't do much with it. So the biggest bunch of these uh, abduction cases, you they, you know, I've had people that have sent me photographs of, of like their arms or little areas where they've been, they claim that they had sculpt marks or something done by aliens. Well, yeah. there's absolutely no proof to that, you know? Right. I mean, you, you, you show me a, a golf ball-sized tumor underneath your arm, and oh, by the way, they don't even go to the doctor. They're just sending it to you, and they're claiming that they were abducted. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. know, I'm, I'm sorry. That's no, no, you, no. You can't do too much. Well, that, this is all good to know, because, you know, everybody out there, you know, we've all got these ideas, and we hear people, and we're like, well, are they serious? Are they crazy? Or, you know, is there a possibility? So you just really don't know. There's no way to really know. So I guess yeah. that's if there's not tangible evidence that links it to such a thing, it's hard to give it validity, right? Exactly. Okay. Now, I, I will say I still I will say this much that it's worthy uh, of still being studied. Sure. But I think that but I think that there's a need for again all these different uh, medical communities, the psychologists, that for them to get their act together to be able to really effectively study this because. We want to know that number one, that it couldn't be something else, which right? Is again worthy of worthy of study, but we just and we just don't understand it. Or, but it might not even be connected at all to the UFO phenomenon, and sure. so that's the problem we run into. Because there's people out there who actually like want to be abducted by aliens, which is crazy to me. But but there are actually people out there who like this is. It's their dream to be abducted. I'm not sure they know what they're asking for, but you know, I've I've seen that as well on social media where people are like, "Oh, I'd love to be abducted," and I'm like, "Are you sure?" Um, let's yeah. talk about Bob Lazar. He claims to have been hired in the late 1980s to reverse engineer extraterrestrial technology. What's your opinion on that? Most of the claims that he's made have never been proven, and he's been basically disproven by the scientific community. Okay. It's, you know, so, I mean, he really, his claims are that he uh, did work in Area 51. Right. Uh, he also made claims that he worked in uh, Los Alamos. Uh, we identified the fact that he did work there, but he was working as something like, uh, uh, not even in, a, in an official capacity or as a scientist. He doesn't have any legitimate uh, documents. We can't go to, we can't find a school where he went to where they say that they know him. We can't find any credentials that said that he graduated from any of these places. Uh, his claims have all been basically like just never confirmed and, and largely dismissed. Okay. Uh, and then the other, the other part of the problem is that with Bob Lazar is that um, largely when scientists look at what he claims and says, they basically have been very quickly to reject most all of the uh, things that he puts forward. Okay. It is an interesting point with the reverse engineering technology, though, because I would think, I would think with our government, if, 
if these if these do exist and the government has hid this or they have these craft in their possession somewhere that the technology behind them would be their their motivation to advance our own military right um to look at how this this technology works so do you think i mean I happen to believe they that there are UFOs. I happen to believe that our government knows about them. And I, I happen to somewhat understand why a lot of this information isn't out in the general public because a lot of people can't deal with the, with, with the reality that it's, it could be true. Um, but the technology that would be involved for another um, galactic ship to get to Earth is phenomenal. So that technology has got to be very, very important, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, let me clarify that the government, uh, or the military anyway, uh, does do uh, re-engineering of, of everything from uh, other countries' weapons uh, that they get a hold of. Mm-hmm. They, they tear it apart, they break it apart. And then if you look at the history of the UFO subject, you'll find out that there's been numerous reports of crashes. And, and, and then there's also been collections by the military of, uh, of these objects that come down. So it's, I happen to believe that we do have them and we have been re-engineering them. Yeah. I, I'm, what I'm telling you is I'm not convinced of Bob Lazar's story, but I do believe that there are, that we do have that. We have evidence that indicates that people have witnessed the objects being removed and transported to somewhere. Like, for example, in the Roswell case in 1947, allegedly the craft was moved from uh, Roswell up to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. It was right field at the time in Dayton, Ohio. And then if I go and I talk to the military people at Wright Field, Wright-Patterson now, um, ultimately then we find evidence of the fact that they received a craft up there. And so there's plenty of indications. The materials were all collected and, and it became extremely classified. And that's, that's the other thing is it deals with classification. So I'm, what I'm going to tell you is that I basically believe that there have been numerous crashes. We do have the wreck crashes and we are doing the the re-engineering and the government doesn't want to admit to that. And no government on the planet would, would admit to it because they, they want that as a tactical advantage for themselves. Of course. I mean, I believe, you know, I mean, there's all those theories, too, of the Germans, you know, and, and the Nazis, and that they they were very savvy to needing this information to build all these things. And, and I'm sure, you know, being that if this is true, that, that we're using this technology to advance ourselves, then, you know, Russia, China, I mean, it's, it's just a, a race to who can engineer this stuff fastest right correct and that's this is why precisely why the upcoming uap task force report that's going to be coming out probably within the next within this week actually it was supposed to be released it's a uh, it's a report 180 day study that was basically put into the the uh, intelligence authorization act uh last year was signed into law by trump uh, and it basically says that within 180 days that the, the Senate Intelligence Committee will receive a report as to whether or not the, what these objects are or whether they're real. And that's why 
you're starting to hear a lot on the media now, uh, with at least with since the 2017 when they released the fact that there was a secret Pentagon study going on. Uh, but that's within the last few years. The uh, the news media has been going crazy uh, and just wanting to do this. But well, let me come back to the uh, the, 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 the study. One of the studies, the study will probably indicate one of three things. Number one, uh, are they among U.S. technologies? In other words, is it a secret project of, let's say, Lock, Lockheed Martin or Boeing or something of that? Lockheed Even Martin comes up a lot, yeah. Yeah. Or, number two, is it a foreign government that is using this? Number three... What is it other than that? And maybe potentially it could be something from off the planet. Now, let me say thing, a little thing about each one of those. First off, we are claiming that we don't know anything about it in the U.S. inventory of anything. Number two, uh, the, we can't to be able to know whether it is the Russians or the Chinese. And, oh, by the way, remember I mentioned that there are crashes. Right. So it's conceivable, it's conceivable that if you had some sort of an alien craft that you could potentially have crashed in their country. Sure. And they have, they have been the ones to now. So maybe potentially that you have the current UAT phenomena is basically from uh, one, of, uh, one of the other countries. Now, I'm not talking about the craft going back in the 1950s, by the way, but I am saying the, uh, or in the 1940s or even throughout our history. What I am saying to you is that there may be also aliens or something like that that exist. We just haven't been able to, at least we, the John Q. public, let's put it that way, have not been able to get the license plate on the back of one of the craft that says, Here's where I'm from. Right. Because, I mean, honestly, I mean, if the if, if they exist, who's to say they're all coming from one place? Okay. There's right. that. <laughs> There's multiple places. That right. From. Right. Yeah. And and they're not, like you said, uh, they're not just crashing in, on our, in our country, in our borders. I mean, it's all over the earth. <laughs> so that technology to be reversed could be anywhere in, in on our earth. So, you know, I just, okay, so let's, tell me what your opinion on the Space Force is, because I, what's its purpose exactly? I'm not sure. Well, everybody wants to turn it into an alien capturing thing. And, and <laughs> no, it's the intention of it is largely the fact that other, other countries are, are basically seeking to potentially weaponize space, okay. which means that you now have weapons that you could put into space platforms and they could be shooting out communication satellites, that could be shooting something down at us. Right. They could be doing all different kinds of things. Well, speaking so, of, okay, I, I get that. But so, speaking of that, right. you brought up something earlier too that I asked you when we were doing our pre-interview. Um, you know, do, do you believe that if there are these aliens, which you and I believe they, there are, do you think they intend to, to harm us or help us? And, you know, we brought up the fact that it's generally us who are trying to shoot them out of the sky, right? 
Yeah, so depending upon, um, if you look at throughout the entire history of the UFO subject, and, and let me put it to you this way. Um, if I, if you were living on a small island off the coast of Brazil, and you had situations where these objects were coming out of the sky and basically zapping you with like lasers or something of that nature or burning you and, and doing things and constantly all over you uh, and potentially even cause maybe a death or two. Uh, would you say that that's friendly or would you say that that's hostile? It's hostile. Okay. So that happened in 1977 in Caloris, uh in Brazil, and it's a small island. So, to them, it's hostile. If I talk to you about other things, like, you know, uh, the study in Barney Hill case, and they were picked up, and they were just given medical exams and things like that, and released unharmed, and in fact, maybe had their memories wiped because that was the case, you might say that that's friendly. Would you, would, if I told you that most of our, our, uh, nuclear missile locations were being visited by objects and we also had an object that went and knocked uh, like 16 missiles offline would you say that that's hostile or friendly? Well I would say they're looking out for our own best interest Okay or they could be testing it because guess what over in Russia they actually activated the nuclear nuclear oh. devices Wow Okay so that's them potentially playing around. So uh -huh. we could look at it as the glass is half empty or that glass is half full. And and you really can't make a determination about friendliness, hostility, until you looked at the overall phenomena and understood it. And so going back to whether I think that they're here to be kind and friendly, um, I don't know. If you talk to some abductees who claim that they're being taken aboard without their free will right. and oh by the way they're going through sexual examinations right. and various other things they would probably describe and say well that's not very pleasant and no. it's very traumatic yeah so you know we don't know how can i possibly know what an alien intent is and, yeah. and, and i don't and so we have to consider them potentially as being a threat until we understand what it is that they're here for. Well, they're coming here for a reason. I mean, they're not going to come all this way for no reason. It's just like us going to Mars or somewhere. We're going there for a reason. Right. Um, right. There's a purpose behind that. And, yeah. and I don't claim, don't claim to understand what an alien intent would be. First off, oh, let me let me also clarify to you that uh, the, the beings that have potentially, if you look at recorded uh, history on the planet Earth, you'll see that there are uh, reports of all different kinds of things that a lot of people like to call UFOs, and we don't they don't understand them, and they were seen in the skies and various other things. Now, most of, the, most of the time, you don't hear anything about them taking over the planet, which they potentially could do with the technology that they got. They could, they've outmaneuvered, outmaneuvered all of our attempts to shoot at them. Uh, they could outmaneuver our craft, and one could argue and say, well, wait a minute, they don't seem to be hurting us if, if that was their intent, because they could have done it a long time ago. Right? right. So a lot of people want to say that they're hypothetically friendly. Well, first off, who is they? Yeah. And potentially, do we know that all of them are from one place? 
we know that we're not dealing with multiple places going on. Right. But am I ready to say that they're all friendly? No, maybe no. not. I don't know. So potentially you could have even, you know, things coming here that don't like us and some things that are coming here that do like us. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. It's, it, I doubt it's merely curiosity. Um, it could be, I guess. I don't know. But it, it's, it's extremely interesting to to contemplate, right? You know, what's the purpose right. behind it? But the truth is that if, if it's happening, they're extremely much more advanced than we are, um, that they have the ability to do this. You know, I, I, I listened to this interesting show today where they're talking about technology and they just use the iPhone, for example, and they're like, what we don't realize as consumers is the creators of these products are already have in their abilities seven steps ahead of what they're offering to you. So let's say the iPhone 10 is out. They've already got the iPhone 17 formulated, right? But they're going to yeah. gradually put this information out one by one because it profits them to do that. Plus, we can't process the advance in technology from one jump that vast to the other, right? So I got to kind of thinking about that and I thought, you know, that makes incredible sense from a profit margin thought, right? We're just going to drag them along. Here's your iPhone 11. Here's your, and all along, they've got the technology to have iPhone 20, right? It's already formulated. It's already mapped out. So I, I got to thinking about that and started thinking about what our government has in their possession, possibly from this information that they've gathered from this technology that they might have gathered from UFOs. And I don't even, I don't think people realize how much more advanced and capable we have the capacity to be. That is, you're absolutely correct. And, and so, you know, I mean, it, it if you take a look at weapons development and platforms we've got, you know, you have you can't begin to imagine we're dealing with things 25 years down the road or even 30 years or even longer. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it, and we're always trying to experiment things. Uh, so who's to say what you, what you, we, we are capable of now because you're not seeing it out in the, the known. <laughs> you, I mean, these things are not out in the known universe yet. So, uh, and then, like I pointed out to you, a lot of countries keep things close hold because they don't want it. They can release it whenever they want. And so you you basically have a situation where we're, we're a lot further along in that than we're leading on. Uh, and you, even that you hear about. Um, so, yeah. I'm sure this goes point. extremely, like, way up in the government. I mean, like... The secrets are, can probably be so vast that, you know, um, there's got to be a council on this sort of thing. I, I would think, I would think with this kind of technology that there has to be people at work that we don't even know about, I would think. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's very true. Okay. I mean, you know, ultimately, you've got very, that's why they get in different levels of classifications, you know, the more you go up. And the more, uh, basically, it's just within just a, the purview of like a small group of people that are under a lot of control. Sure. And so, yeah, and that's just, that's the nature of the whole, 
the whole beast, if you would. Yeah, <laughs> the mystery of it all. All right, so we've heard about aliens or UFOs that go into the ocean. Um, what mm-hmm. do you What yeah. do you think about that? Well, I've always believed very strongly. If you look at the preponderance of cases, and I've seen, you know, I've, I've been able to go through. Uh, I actually conducted uh, conducted probably uh, in excess of a thousand case investigations myself. Uh, but I've got access to databases, and we've been looking at that because there seems to be a large number of these objects around or going into coming out of water. Right. And if you look at the, re- the recent cases that are going on with the Navy that they're, you're hearing about, well, that's in the water. The Russians have, you know, uh, have a, uh, released something like about 15,000 cases uh, uh, that they've experienced underwater. So you're, you're dealing with a large number of these things. And really, when you think about it, Kathy, I mean, is it the planet Earth or the planet water? Because three-quarters right. of the planet is water, right? Right. So, I mean, it's the perfect place for... To for come us, and go a little uh, less noticed, right? Correct. You know, and so think about what we're doing on Mars, right? Well, right now, we're sending up all these different robots to be able to go and to do surveillance and explore Mars. Let's say that we, what would we have done if we found out that there were beings that were actually alive on Mars uh, that were living on the, the place? Would you just land right in their downtown? <laughs> would, you, no. would, would you Would you actually study them and, and try to figure out and survey them if you can uh, and learn about them? And if you think about it, these objects that we're seeing in the sky are kind of like similar they're not wanting to land. They're more like they're observing us. They're, they're surveying us. Uh, and then, you know, uh, not wanting to interact much. And so we see that kind of like passive activity, if you would, that, that's going on. And, and we would pretty much do probably something similar. And especially if the planet were like three quarters uh, with water, and it appears as though the, the, the race that lives on the planet doesn't spend a lot of time and doesn't really even know much about their own water. Well, right. guess what? I'm going to land. In, I'm going to land in the water. I'm going to like you know use it as a base. I'll pop in and pop out, do what I want to do, and then hop off. They don't have to be coming here every day, every sighting. I mean, like literally, there are thousands of cases every day that happen on this planet. And and so with that being the case, then you know you don't have a they're not all coming and going. We don't have astronomers watching them zip, uh, you know, through the, from somewhere else. So they're likely in the water. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And, and there's the Navy, people in the Navy have, I mean, there's almost as many sightings from them as the Air Force. So, you know, you got to think about that, too. There goes my little dog barking. Um, what are some of the conspiracy theories out there that... You know, that you would, if it were up to you, you could just sort of debunk. Well, let me clarify. I typically don't spend any time at all on conspiracy theories. Okay. Um, by the nature of what we're doing in science, science doesn't spend any time with uh, conspiracy theories. We, we go on the basis of uh, looking for evidence to support cases, and we focus our efforts on, on the UFO. Uh, subject, and not on all the side things that are going on that on a peripheral base. Meaning, of course, 
that I'm, I don't spend my time looking into Bigfoot. I don't spend my time looking at ghosts. I don't spend my time looking into uh, the existence of mermaids and, and yeah, all that but stuff. I, I spend my time on UFOs and studying what uh, witnesses say that they see and what we can detect on radar and what we can detect on, you know, advanced uh, grade level cameras. And that's what I spend my time on because the other stuff is a waste of my time. I got you. Uh, now, yeah, and, and so that's what scientists are engaged. We, we don't get in, engaged in conspiracy theories. Now, there's a lot of conspiracy theories. There are. And, uh, we see that, and all you have to do is turn on the news in the, in the evening, and you can see how many people believe that, uh, you know, things like political kind of stuff going on. And, and it's, it's, for me, it's a total waste of my time, and I don't, I don't go there at all. Okay. Uh, there's... Uh, you know, I mean, my God, I mean, everything from what? Uh, presidents are a bunch of reptiles to... Uh, the, re- the reptilians, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, uh, and there's, uh, there's the crazy notions that, you know, that, that um, basically that there are, there are uh, the planet Earth is hollow, uh, as if we haven't figured out that there's a metallic core on the inside. And so... I, I think one of, is the moon is hollow. The moon is hollow. And the dark sure. side of the moon is some sort of base yeah, or something. It's out there, uh, yeah. So there's there's a lot of that type stuff right. that has completely completely unproven. And you know, I mean, there are legitimate people that are out there that still believe that the Earth is flat. Okay, yeah. so that's yeah. conspiracy, and I and I don't believe that at all. No, and nobody's provided evidence to indicate that it's flat. And why would everything else be around except for the planet Earth, right? And so. Yeah. Uh, I have a problem with, with that type of thing. And that's, and again, that's why scientists like, you know, what we're about. Facts. Don't waste our time with it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want some tangible facts that you can work with and, and, and work from. Okay. So I, I have to ask, have you seen one? Well, it's a good question. Um, so I, you know, I've spent my entire lifetime looking up for these objects and stuff. And I have yet to see anything that I would say is a legitimate UFO. I have seen things that I couldn't explain at first, but I was able to explain once I studied and investigated it. So let me give an example of one. And you, I know you, you lived here with me in Huntsville. Mm-hmm. In 20, 2012, October, uh, tw- actually it was October 12, 2012, uh, I was going in in the morning to work. And I happened to start getting phone calls from people around town saying that they were seeing something up in the sky. And I got to a position where I could look and I saw this like light, this this object. It was a clear blue sky. Uh, It was a nice sunny day, sunny morning. And there was this object that seemed to be up in the sky that was very, very bright. And then it would suddenly blank out and then it would come back on and be bright again and then it would go back to being not there and I saw that for a period of time I kept thinking like what is that uh-huh. well I, I actually took a video of it and I I had to go to a meeting and it, and unfortunately I here I am the potential to see something and I had to go to a meeting 
Right. So I had to leave the meeting, go up to the meeting, and I kept telling everybody, let's get this meeting over with very quickly because I want to go back outside. And they said, why? Because I said, well, I might see my UFO, first, first UFO. And they said, well, well, we'll come with you. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we go out, and the object is gone. Uh-huh. Now, I, I get to work, and a, an individual that I know that, that sits near me in, in a cube basically came over and said, hey, I saw this cylindrical object up in the in the sky and it was you know kind of like rotating so one minute it would catch the sun the next minute it would go kind of like dark uh as if and it looked like it was rotating i said really so it was what you saw was a cylindrical object of some sort and it might have been tumbling and they said yeah it looked look, look like that and it, it looked to be very clear like it was a trans you know trans very transparent right. translucent and so I said, okay, that's interesting. So what I did was I began following it in the MUFON database over the next four days. And it, you could see that that cylindrical object was being reported heading north up through Tennessee into Kentucky, or a little bit toward the Kentucky and Tennessee line. And then it went into, I believe it was, uh, it was also seen in West Virginia, Ohio, up into Pennsylvania. And you could follow it over four days. And what it turned out to be was the, a Google Loon secret project that they had where they were testing, delivering internet using these hot, oh, these not hot, but actually uh, semi-rigid uh, balloons. Okay. And this was, that's what this was, right? Yeah. So that was the, that was my UFO moment. <laughs> but uh, actually... What I would I like to clarify that, in spite of not seeing one, I investigated a case in the 1970s where I went out to a. There were a lot of UFO activity the night before, but a farmer reported the fact that his wheat field was uh, had a circular area where there was no wheat, and it was gone. And we uh, team of us went up and investigated it, and started taking measurements. And the soil was baked two feet in the ground. There was no roots, no roots of the wheat in the ground at all. And when you get on the outer perimeter of the circle, you start to see a little stubble. You go a little bit beyond that. You start to see a swirling pattern. And then you also see puffed wheat around the entire 70-foot diameter area. Hmm. And there's microwave radiation. So I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that was really my aha moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, I don't need to see one. No, that was um, your, anyway. I bet your intuition was like, here it is. Here it is. This is it, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't explain how you're going to get something in and bake the soil without tramping down the other part of the wheat to bring in some heavy equipment and do this right. overnight. Okay? Yeah, that's so, that's pretty incredible. That's, yeah, that's and pretty... so that's kind of like where I'm at with this whole thing. Uh, but after you've done enough case investigations like I have, uh, I don't need to, I don't need to see one. I've, I've witnessed it through the lens of all the witnesses that I've talked sure. with and, and through military people that I've interacted with whose jobs were to either go and chase them, uh, and film them or do other kinds of things. So I'm, that's where I'm at. I don't, I don't really need to see one to believe it. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm going to have you back sometime in the near future. We're going to do another one. I want you to think about 
everything we didn't cover today um, that you would like to kind of bring light to. Um, and if something happens in the meantime that you know that you want to share, that you can share, we're going to get into that too. Um, but this has been, I appreciate your time and this has been super cool for me. I'm kind of a nerd about this sort of stuff. I'm a, I, I like the facts, you know, is, and I don't want to get too out there because my mind can, can go. <laughs> so it's good for me to get grounded and talking to somebody that, that understands the science of it. Right. Um, right. And, and, and even that though, I mean, even the science of it with, with the concrete facts is still fascinating. I mean, to me, it's just amazing what we, what we have to learn about it still, you know, and, and, and I think we are, I think as time goes by, there's, we're going to learn, it's going to be released more learning every day um, as things yeah. come out. And it's people like you who are spending their life dedicating themselves to learning about this sort of stuff. That's going to get it out there to us. So thank you for doing that. Oh, well, you're welcome. Uh, it's, it's a privilege to be on with you, and I'm glad you're interested, and I'm glad that you want to be able to get back. There's so much more we can talk about. We are. We're going to talk about it. And also, I want to mention to everybody that I saw your little uh, clip on the History Channel not that long ago. Um, do you want to tell people how they can find that? Oh, well, I, yeah. First off, you know, if you, if you do a, just a search on Rich Hoffman and the word UFOs after it, <laughs> okay. you'll see how many hits you're going to get. Okay, but, cool. But the point... I was on the uh, the proof is out there on the History Channel last year, and we just started filming for the second season. And I'll be covering I think I think it's like six cases that they want me to cover. But there's one particular case that that we covered in last year, which was on the Aguadilla Puerto Rico case, where an object is seen to split into two. I read about and that. If anybody, if anybody wants to see our report or even the video. You can go up to our website at, at basically explorestu.org. Explore. And, and all you have to do is go up and say that explore again. Explorestu. Explore. Okay. Word explore. Uh-huh. Stu. Okay. Got it. Got the work. All right. I want to check and, it out. And our, we also have the 277 page report on the Nimitz case from 2004. So uh, you can look at the videos. They're, they're up there, the Aguadilla case, and the even the reports we put together, uh, and it's a fascinating case. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. I'm going to so, check that out. Maybe we'll talk about that. I know there's been a lot of sightings in Puerto Rico, and we're only like, we're not far mm-hmm. from there where we are now, so we'll check it out. Right. See what we can come up with. But um, we are going to, this is, we're going to sign off for now, but I'm going to uh, touch base with you, and we're going to do this again. Thank you for your time. It's been so much fun. And it's good to talk to you again and tell your family I said hello. And um, everyone, you know, um, just kind of take what you want from this. This is coming from someone from a scientific scientific perspective. This isn't based on any sort of um, conspiracy or anything like that. This man's dedicated his life to finding facts. So it might uh, sound intriguing, but it might be worth it for you to check it out. Rich, thank you for your time. And everyone, we are out.